Well, good morning, Firewheel Bible Fellowship. How are we doing today? The few and the proud. So good to be together. Hello at home. It is great to be with you as well this morning. Now, today we have come, and we have come to worship, and we have come to pray, and to study His Word. It is reasonable. It is a reasonable service in view of what Christ has done for us, and we, we do everything in our life as an act of worship, and we have come here this morning to this service, and our prayer is that the Lord would remove from us the focal point of ourselves and would orient our minds to us as a community and to our relationship with Christ, that He would be honored this morning by our reasonable service of Him. And so, Lord Jesus, we approach you together. We thank you for our shared salvation in you, Jesus. And we ask that this morning, you above all, our Father in heaven, would be honored and glorified in our worship through your Son, Jesus, and in through your Holy Spirit. Please turn our focus from ourselves individually to a focus on you, Lord Jesus. Fill our minds and our hearts that this morning our reasonable worship of laying our lives down together would be honorable to you. We love you, Jesus. May those, those words be more than just spoken. May they permeate every fiber of our being, every aspect of our spiritual existence. This morning, may you hear from heaven in and through the praises of your people. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your beautiful and holy name. Amen. Let's worship together.
say word. We are getting into the word this morning, and I believe that we've grown accustomed to what we do before we get into our text of scripture. I have done my best to prepare a message this week that is spiritually nourishing, but I recognize in my frail hands, at best, it is five little loaves and two fish. It is insufficient. And so I'm going to ask that we pray together that we would be able to take this message and place it in the Lord's hands, in Jesus' hands, that he would bless this message, that he would break it and distribute it so we leave not just with a spiritual snack, but we would leave satisfied in our souls. That would be a work of God's Holy Spirit. Are we all in agreement with that? Okay, so let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the honor and the privilege, the reasonable service of preparing this message this week. I feel that you have led me to certain uh, focal points and certain things that, that seemed really, really uh, important for us spiritually. But Lord, we recognize that in my frail hands or our frail hands, five little loaves and two fish, it is just not enough to feed us. And so, Lord Jesus, we place this message in your capable hands. We ask that, Lord, you would bless this message, that you would break it and distribute it in such a way that we would all uh, be able to uh, leave this, this message feeling spiritually satisfied and better equipped for your work. And we pray this in your strong and your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we are turning in our series, as we turn in our Bibles, uh, to Mark chapter 5. We are, in fact, starting a new series this week. It is a three-part series. It is called Desperations of Faith, and really, it holds hands and, and is, is related to the series we just, we just got out of Portraits of Faith as we looked at character studies of, of faith people in the scriptures, both in faith and failure, we are now looking at the desperations of faith, and we will, we will do that over the next three weeks, because I believe that faith is best on display in moments or seasons or circumstances of desperation. When everything that we typically trust in or we typically hold on to or is like a foundation, when all of those things fail us and all we are left with is Jesus, those are the purest moments of faith that any of us can experience. When everything that we typically trust in fails and all we are left with is Jesus. Now, for some of us, all we have is a name. Maybe we have heard the name Jesus, and we've heard a few scattered reports of what Jesus has done in the lives of others. So this morning, maybe all you have is the name Jesus. 
For some of us, we have an, an intellectual Jesus in the sense that we, we know of him, we believe in him intellectually, like very similar to the way that we believe in gravity. Like we can see the effects of gravity, um, especially <laughs> on our bodies as we get older, right? Um, we can recognize the laws of gravity that what goes up must come down. We try to limit our haphazard leaps off of elevated surfaces, we recognize it would probably lead to injury. And so in that, we respect gravity, we trust in gravity, and we believe in it. It's kind of profound when we think about it. But as we go about our daily lives, gravity's not really on our minds. Well, in the same way, intellectually, we can have uh, a knowledge of Jesus. We can see the effects of him all around us. We can understand his teachings and the importance of it. We can respect Jesus and, and trust in him and believe in him. Try to limit our haphazard spiritual behavior. Uh, when we think of him, we pretty profound. Uh, Jesus is very profound to us, but as we go about our daily lives, he's not really on our minds. We don't really think about him or him being the center of our life, because at that point, Jesus is more of like an intellectual Jesus to us. But then for some of us, Jesus is, is far more intimate to us, like he is more, like more like everything, like our very spiritual breath, and we see him as like the sustaining presence and power in our life in every moment of our life. We take him with us everywhere we go. Well, no matter who Jesus is to you this morning, whether your relationship with Jesus is, I just got a name, or it's an intellectual Jesus, or it's an, an intimate relationship with Jesus, no matter who Jesus is to you, in desperation, we are all brought to the same place. Where when everything that we trust in, when it fails us, when it leaves us, and it gives way, we are all brought to the same place where all we are left with is Jesus. Those are some of the most pure moments of our faith. When everything else fails us. It reminds me of, it's like being dropped into the ocean or into the waves of the ocean. From my own personal experience, I can tell you there were times where I would be surfing in, in big surf, and there were times where I would lose my surfboard. Okay, that surfboard was a lifeline. It, was, it kept me buoyant. It was something to grab a hold on. I trusted in my surfboard. But there were times where I would be sucked under and my board would be ripped off. And usually the leash would always carry you up because that board carries you to the surface. You knew where up was. But there were times when you lost your board, there was no direction. And all of a sudden you're like this, this helpless little bobber and you come up and instinctively the only thought is the desperation for another breath. You come up to get dragged back down again and you come up for another breath and you get dragged back down and you think this is going to be the last, the last breath. You come up and Jesus, save me. And for some of us, I think that's what we're feeling right now. It feels like we've just been like dropped into these waves, and it's like wave after wave after wave, and those things that we grabbed a hold of or trusted in, or it was like our buoyancy kept us afloat or whatever, it's gone, and all of a sudden there's like a wave after wave after wave, and we keep coming up, and we keep going, <gasps> what's next? <gasps> 
And we, we just cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. Well, this morning we were, we were looking at a passage. Really, it's a, it's a, it's a complex passage. And we're going to look at two different pictures. Uh, and this week we're, we're going to take the middle of the cookie. And so we have like the, the middle of the cookie. And the next week we get the top and the bottom layer of the cookie. But we're going to look at a passage that literally drips with desperation. Now I'm thinking about cookies. Winfield cookies. You ever had a Winfield cookie? Really? Never? Oh my gosh. They do this thing. Chocolate chip, chocolate chip, and in the middle they do a buttercream, but like multiple different flavors of buttercream. They got a strawberry buttercream, a lemon buttercream, an orange cream buttercream. Y'all, you know, no idea. Oh, you poor folks. I'll pray for you. So this passage that we're looking at this morning literally drips with desperation where everything is failing uh, uh, the people that we're going to look at, everything around them. And this passage is going to speak to those who know Jesus just by name and those who know Jesus intellectually and those who know Jesus at the core of their being. And I believe that no matter how you know Jesus right now, this passage is going to push you to know him more and to take some next steps with Jesus in your spiritual life. We first encounter in the narrative that we're looking at, Mark chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 21 to begin with. We'll move through the first three verses rather rapidly, but we're encountering in the narrative a man by the name of Jairus. He was a very well-respected Jewish leader who in absolute desperation throws himself at the feet of Jesus because his little girl is sick. I don't think anything in this life cuts away any type of reservation as it relates to coming to Jesus and having a sick child. Because when our children are sick, we'll do anything, and I mean absolutely anything, for their health. And so this man, Jairus, he falls before Jesus and he pleads, please save my daughter. Verse 21 when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, that is of the Sea of Galilee, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. He prostrated himself before the Lord Jesus, and he implored, and he begged, he pleaded, he prayed, saying, listen to this, tell me this, this is a drip of desperation. My little daughter, my little girl, is at the point of death. Please, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Please save my little girl. A sick child has a way of cutting away any and all reservations that we may feel about Jesus. There are times where we get into seasons or circumstances where before we're like, oh, I don't really need that whole Jesus thing, but then all of a sudden we're in this crisis and it cuts everything away and we're like, I need Jesus. This is desperate faith. Like in the last few moments of his child's life, he's, he's reaching out for Jesus. Please save my daughter. She's dying. And Jesus, moved with compassion, begins to move towards Jairus' home. Verse 24, it said, So Jesus went with him. And next week, we are going to go to the home of Jairus. 
And we're, we're going to see this desperation of faith and reaching out for Jesus and the salvation that Jesus brings to Jairus' home. But this morning, we're going to turn our attention to another desperate person who breaks into the narrative like a thief attempts to break into the kingdom of God. The text tells us in verse 4 that there was a large or verse 24 that there was a large crowd following Jesus. They thronged about him. They crowded. He had an entourage. Everywhere he went, people gathered. They wanted to see some miracle. And this crowd was difficult because anytime the crowd amassed, it was hard for Jesus to move freely, but it was also difficult for people who needed Jesus to get to Jesus. And there was one in the crowd who needed Jesus more than anything in her life. This, in fact, this woman, is, is we're going to see, would have been seen as dirty. So there's this dirty woman who is desperate. We will never get her name. She is only crudely referred to as the woman with a flow of blood. That literally what she had, that is what she suffered with, was how she was identified. That became her name. She was called dirty. Now, to this day, many of us may be known by what were or what is, like uh, the disease or sickness of our life, whether that was a physical, a spiritual, emotional, psychological, relational sickness, like people look at us and they go, oh, there goes fill in the blank. And maybe that's how you even identify yourself, that when you look in the mirror, you say, oh, I'm just a fill in the blank, and we're identifying ourselves with our ailment, our sickness. But what we're going to see this morning, the beautiful miracle of Christ, is that he has this incredible ability to redeem our dirty little identities. We first see the desperation of this dirty woman, verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. This tells us at some point in time in her life, she was most likely healthy, but now she is tragically and grievously sick. Because at some point in time in her life came the period that would never end. In the culture that we're reading about, to have a flow of blood, even the common menstrual cycle would render a woman ritually and ceremonially unclean for the entire duration of menstruation and up to seven days beyond that. This woman was ceremonially and ritually and physically unclean for 12 years. That means for 12 years, anything that she touched or any person that she touched, or anything that accidentally touched, whether thing or person, would also be considered unclean and dirty. Her dirt was contagious. She was contagious like corona. She was ostracized like the infected. And she was avoided as if the entire culture and society around her was practicing social distancing, but just against her. In fact, it was expected 
that anytime she walked into a crowded place, she would have to cry out, I am dirty. I am dirty. I am dirty. So that everyone would know to not go near her. For 12 years, this woman was never touched. There's a desperation here. She was dirty. And she would give it anything to be made clean. And I think some of us can relate to that. That when we're filthy and when we're dirty, we'll give anything to be clean. And this woman gave everything. Verse 26. And she suffered much under many physicians. She spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She turned to anything that would offer relief and or cleansing. The crude medicine of ancient days, right? We would look back on it. We would think, oh, quack therapies or snake oil sales. Witchcraft remedies. She spent everything she had, tonics and potions and ointments and herbs and crystals and rituals, and it only proved toxic. Only growing worse. I think we ourselves, in our own lives, when we are, when we are sin sick or we are spiritually sick or however that sickness plays it, we'll, give, we'll do anything to get better. We'll turn to anything to feel better. There are three phrases that capture her physical, emotional, and spiritual turmoil. Suffered much, spent all, grew worse. In my opinion, that is the best description of spiritual sickness. When we try to pursue spiritual healing in spiritually sick ways, we suffer much, we spend all, and we just get worse. But she knew a name, and what a name. And, and she had heard some scattered reports of what this person had done for the lives of others. And wouldn't you know it, he had come to her town. And he was walking down her street. In fact, at one point, he was right there. And she knew at the core of her being, she needed Jesus more than anything else in the world. Verse 27, she had heard reports about Jesus, and maybe some of us, that's where you're at right now. Like, I've heard some things of what Jesus has done in other people's lives, and I'm really desperate right now, and I'm hoping that somehow, some way, he can do those same things in my life. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Like, she slips in unnoticed, and this is incredibly risky, right? Because everybody she bumped into, everybody she pushed past, would also then be rendered dirty. Because remember, her dirt was contagious. But there's the hypocritical irony of it. There wasn't a single person in that crowd that was clean. None of us in and of ourselves are spiritually clean. We are all sin-stained like the blood of crimson. We all need cleansing. But this woman knew it. And in desperation, she reached out for Jesus. And on the surface, it, it, it seems like a seemingly small act of faith. 
but it took incredible courage. Verse 28, for she said to herself, she's like, self, if, if, if I just touch even his garments, I will be made well. And really, in, in how it reads in the Greek, it's like she's saying it over and over and over to herself. If only I touch his garments, I'll be made well. If only I touch his garments, I'll be made well. She's like pumping herself up. Now, this last week, um, we were on vacation, and, and we love uh, going camping. And one of our favorite spots to go is Beaver's Bend, Oklahoma. Fantastic place. We get down in there. We got a little pop-up trailer. It's, it's a little tight. Five kids in a pop-up. Anyway, um, it, it was sweet. And we spent time fishing and riding rapids and doing all— But one of our favorite spots in the park, one of my least favorite for my wife, but one of our favorite for us as the boys, we love the cliff jumping. And in fact, the previous trip we'd made, I did a swan dive, and anyway, it hurt my back, and I was like, I'm never going to do that again. We got to the park. First thing, I was like, let's go cliff jumping. So anyway, we get there. And, and Josiah and I, my 13-year-old, we start to challenge each other, right? Like, we go to the, the next highest, the next highest. And then all of a sudden, we're jumping off stuff that it isn't even a—it's not even a spot, and we're just leaping out there, which, of course, my wife just loved. Um, but there, we, there were moments where we'd stop, and we would look up, and we'd watch other people, and it was, it was kind of fun. You know, because we'd see people, they would, they would climb up the rocks and get up to the top, and they'd, you know, they'd be looking down, and you'd see them like, okay, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. And then, and we're down there, jump! <laughs> we did it, do it, you do it, you won't get hurt! At least I hope not, right? Like, <laughs> wouldn't that be terrible, like, encouraging somebody to jump, and they get like— really hurt. I would feel really bad. Anyway, so we're like, jump! And there were times where people, they would psych themselves up, and then they would, they would do it. And you know what? There were no refunds on that exchange, man. Once you jump, there ain't getting back up. You're going down. Gravity takes over, right? There was a commitment level. But then every now and then, there'd be that person that would shimmy back down the rocks, and everybody'd be like, uh, They kind of slip back into the crowd. Well, this woman, she's standing there, and she jumps. There's no plan B. She's, she's uh, if only I touch his garment. And, and here's what's crazy. There is a spiritual sleight of hand that happens at the end of the verse. Because that phrase, I will be made well, that word well, it is translating the Greek word sozo, which is often translated in our Bible as saved. So essentially, what she is saying, and what we're able to see spiritually, now she's thinking physical healing, but there is also a spiritual truth of the passage that is saying, if only I reach out to Jesus, I will be saved. If only I reach out to Jesus, I will be saved. If only I reach out to Jesus, I will be saved. And in that moment of desperate faith, something miraculous happens. Verse 29. And the text says, And immediately, like at the very moment, like the moment her fingertip graced his garment. The scriptures say the flow of blood dried up in her, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Like, at the very moment her fingertip graced the garment, she she knew. I imagine she just froze as the, as the crowd 
continued moving forward. And at that point, it would probably be just, she just assumed to be able to slip back into the crowd. But then Jesus did something that's absolutely terrifying. He stops and turns around. Who just did that? Who just did that? Jesus is now going to draw this woman, this quote-unquote dirty woman, out of the crowd, in front of the crowd. This would have been terrifying for this woman. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know. It was like a battery, like all of a sudden. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And we can see the humorous irony of that. We already saw in the narrative that he is surrounded by people. People are thronging around. He's, he's surrounded by a crowd. Everyone was touching Jesus, but this was different. Because it was the touch of faith. It's like a whisper of faith. It's like in, the, in this crowd and murmuring and all of that, there are people who will raise out their hand and they'll say, Lord Jesus, save me. To which Jesus responds, who said that? You will notice something very significant just happened. I will call it a divine transaction. True faith, evidenced by action, activated divine power. True faith. If only I reach out to Jesus, I will be saved. Evidenced by action, reaching out, activated divine power in this woman's life, healed. True faith, when it is true faith, is evidenced by action. True faith is not just an intellectual exercise. True faith is evidenced by true action. And by the way, it's not a huge action. We've already kind of come to the conclusion it's a seemingly insignificant little act. But here's the reality. We're frail beings. Okay, so when we have this idea of like some type of evidence action, we have this idea of like, go sell off all you own and give it to the poor, come follow me. And we're like, okay, so that's, that's, the, that's the big thing. And, and I don't know, that's too big. But here's the reality, we're frail. And so our little acts of faith, that when we are moved by true faith, it's something as simple as reaching out for Jesus, please save me. And in that moment, that divine transaction, divine power, she is healed. Who touched me? I mean, the disciples, and I love the disciples. I really do. Absolutely love the disciples. And, and really, it's Peter. Of course it's Peter, right? Like, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He's always blurting stuff out. In the other, another narrative, we find out in another gospel account, it is Peter who, who pipes up, which is not a huge surprise, especially over the last two weeks. We've been looking at the life of Peter, and a grateful and the capable preaching of Pastor Eddie did a phenomenal job past two weeks, the character study of Peter, but it is Peter who blurts out. And I can imagine just like rolling his eyes sarcastically. 
Jesus, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? <laughs> but Jesus continues to scan the crowd. He will not let this woman get away with it. He will not let her just slip back into the crowd. In fact, Jesus is not going to take another step towards Jairus' house until this woman comes forward. We have to ask the question, why? Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus humiliate this woman? This would be humiliating for her to be brought in front of the crowd. Shame. But Jesus had no intention of humiliating this woman. Jesus, in fact, had every intention of elevating this woman to a rightful place in and among her culture and restoring this woman. You see, Jesus did not come just to heal us physically. We can recognize that because there are times where we're not healed physically. And he didn't come to just eternally heal us, although in Christ, when we, when we ask him into our life, yes, we are healed for eternity, we are saved, but he has come to redeem our whole life. He has come to redeem our dirty little identities. That who and what we were is not who and what we are. And what we're going to see is this woman goes from dirty to daughter. And, and I'm not leaving the guys out, but this morning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus the, the attention of this message on the ladies in the house. Because this woman is going to go from dirty to daughter, and it's very significant here in this narrative, because where is Jesus headed? He is headed to Jairus' house to heal a little daughter. And along the way, he is going to heal, or has healed, another one of his little daughters. Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I've suffered much and, and I've spent all and I've only grown worse. You can imagine just tears flowing down her face. I've heard reports and, and I heard about you and I thought, if I could just touch your garment, I'm sorry I made you dirty. I didn't mean to make you dirty, but I just, I've been unclean for so long. I've been so sick and I just thought if I could reach out and I, and I made you dirty. Isn't that the gospel? Jesus takes our dirt and he becomes dirty for us so that we can be cleansed and made clean. I am, I'm just dirty and I'm worthless. And you imagine she's just pouring her heart out, but it's a beautiful thing. Because Jesus did not intend to shame her or humiliate her a beautiful thing when Jesus takes those who are dirty and calls them daughter. Look at verse 34. And he said to her, and I believe he said to the crowd, daughter, let it be known from this day forward, this woman is no longer to be known as dirty. She is forever daughter. Her identity has changed. daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You were 
now at peace with God and he is at peace with you and be healed, be saved of your disease that can speak of both physical but also spiritual sickness. From dirty to daughter, your faith, okay, and her faith was evidenced by what? Action. Your faith, evidenced by action, reaching out, made you well. That is activated divine power. Now, that does not mean she had within herself power that she activated by her own faith. No, that, that is complete lunacy. No, the reality is she had within herself a stirring that if only I reach out for Jesus, I will be saved. And in that moment, she reaches out and she experiences that divine power, that transaction. Here's the reality. There are sometimes people who are like, yeah, I've got faith, but there's no action. Like, I believe in Jesus like I believe in gravity. But there's, there's no evidence of any type of faith action. And then they're like, well, I don't experience any divine power. And, and there's a couple of things that happen. One person looks at it and says it's theoretical. Or worse, it is mythological. It is fiction. And the people that talk of divine power need a divine head check. Because there's no way that that's real because I'm not experiencing it because the faith, your faith that is being expressed in those moments is completely intellectual. There's no evidence or action. There's no activation of divine power and there's no experience of it in the personal life. This woman, by her faith through the power of God, had just been restored ritually and physically, culturally, and most important, spiritually. She, from that moment on, was no longer to be called dirty. From that moment on, she was daughter. And here's the reality. That's what Jesus does. He redeems our dirty little identities. We go from dirty to daughter, from sin-sick to son. The application is very clear whether you know Jesus just by name or whether you know Jesus uh, intellectually or if your relationship with Jesus is intimate, when everything is taken away and we're like those human bobbers being pulled under by each passing wave and all we are left with is Jesus, it's one of the, the most blessed moments in our life because desperation leads all of us to the same place. If only I reach out to Jesus, I will be saved. If only I reach out to Jesus, I will be saved. If only I reach out to Jesus, I will be saved. And so the question I have for you as we enter into this week, are you ready to jump? Are you ready to take some real and tangible faith steps this week that your true faith will be evidenced by action? Are you willing to jump? Okay, if only I reach out, I'll be saved. If only I reach out, I'll be saved. If only... Or are you going to slip back, shimmy on back down the rocks, and slip back into the crowd? What are your next steps with Jesus this week? Remember that true faith, evidenced by action, activates divine power in your life. And so, I will recommend a few faith steps. 
for those of you who only know Jesus just by name, and maybe you're at home right now and you just know Jesus by name, or you're sitting here this morning and you just know Jesus by name, and a few, a few scattered reports of what Jesus has done in other people's lives, and maybe you've seen it in your spouse's life or in your kids' lives or your neighbor's lives or your coworker, or your boss's or somebody's life, and you're like, whatever's happening or has happened in that person's life, and if you say that's all because of Jesus, I want that in my life as well, and so maybe all you have is a name, but what a name. And so your first, this faith step for this week and for this morning and this very moment is to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If only I reach out, I will be saved. Lord Jesus, save me. Prayed from a true heart of belief and of faith that Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he is risen that he can take our, our dirty little identities and our dirty sin-sick souls and our crimson-stained life like crimson of blood and he can cleanse us. That through faith we are cleansed and saved. And so maybe your faith step this morning is placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe your faith step this morning is taking that next step with Jesus. Maybe you've placed your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's kind of where it stopped. That next step of faith is believer's baptism where you so identify with what Jesus has done for you in your life that you identify with him in his death and you step into the baptismal tub, which is full of what? Remember that? Come on, it's not a tough question, y'all. What is the baptismal tub filled with? Water. En español es agua. See? What do you do when you're dirty? You get into a tub. You get clean. And that's the picture of baptism. We step into the tub dirty. We are buried with Christ in his death, and we are raised to walk a new life. It is a commitment, it is a testimony before the crowd that what was behind is behind, and what lies forward is Christ. It is a commitment. It is a tangible faith step. So for some of us, it's baptism. And I know I realize people are like, but it's coronavirus, and can we do baptism and all that? We're going to do baptism. I don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to do it with, with, with practical steps in place. We're going to do everything. We keep people safe. But you know what? We're not going to wait until the coronavirus is done for people to take that next step with Jesus. Amen. Sorry. Got a little. We're also going to have communion. And communion at home. And we got the little single-serve things, and they're, you know, little, you know, handy snacks, you remember those? So it's going to be like that, and they're coming, they're on back order, okay? So just pray they come, uh, so that we can start sharing communion together, but I'm talking about baptism. So if you have not been baptized, you've not taken that faith step with Jesus, it's time. And so if that's you, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, and this morning you're like, Lord Jesus, save me, or you're like, I'm ready to take the next step of baptism, I want you to go on our website, okay? So some of us are like, oh, I can't do that, it's too much work. And I'm like, true faith, evidence by action, and this is a pretty seemingly small step. That's a lot of clicks. Then it's not time for you yet. 
Okay? Keep coming back. Because maybe that moment is next Sunday. Or it's tomorrow. I don't get to speed up your salvation clock. But there is a moment in every believer's life where they place their faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is a moment where true believers follow Christ and believers' baptism. So if that's you, click on the link. It says, Faith and Baptism. Click on it. Fill out the information, and I will personally contact you this week. So if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during this, this message, or you desire to follow Jesus in believer's baptism, click on that and fill it out, and we will follow up with you this week. Those are two practical steps. And then finally, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and we have been baptized, but here's the deal. The drift is real. And I can start spiritually drifting daily. If I don't have spiritual practices in my life, I drift. If I don't have a daily anchor in my life, I drift. And so for those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, you are a believer, you have been baptized, well, it is time to daily set Jesus at the center of your life. This is a practical step. This is daily scripture and daily devotions. It's prayer and meditation. It's spiritual truth, spiritual content. It's spiritual practices. And I want to help you with that. And I want to be helped. Can you guys help me? Can you all help me stay spiritually sound? Can you all? Yes? Yes? Will you help me? Okay. Can we help one another? Okay, so here's what I want to do. On, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, I want to meet you on Facebook. Facebook Live, we're going to do this on our Facebook page of Firewheel Fellowship, and we're going to, I'm going to start every morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7.30 a.m. Some of us are like, whoa, that's way too early. Others of you are like, wow, that's way too late. And I, I get that. But it's going to be 7.30, and we're, we're going to have a short devotion together. We're going to get into the text of Scripture. I'm thinking we're going to begin in the book of Philippians, and we're going to, we're going to read some Scripture together. We're going to, we're going to share some spiritual thought. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to go about our day. And what you're going to help me do is stay into the, the text of Scripture because the drift is real in my life as well. And then we're going to do this together. And so you're going to go about your day with some spiritual truth, and we're going to do it together, okay? So that's a very tangible next step, and that starts tomorrow morning. Well, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your precious and holy word. It is nourishing to our souls. It is a light unto our path. It leads us to true life in you, Jesus. This morning, if, if your step of faith is placing your faith in Jesus in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. Please save my life. that is truly your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you have passed from death, spiritual death to life. You have been cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus. You are now forever a son or daughter of the living God. For you this morning, maybe that step of faith is baptism and, and you desire to take that next step and maybe you're scared of the idea of doing it in front of people or whatever. Lord Jesus, give me the faith. I want to take that next step with you. And maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're like, I want to recommit my life. I want to recenter my life. Jesus, I want you at the center. Just ask him, Lord Jesus, make me hungry and thirsty. Stir in me a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst. And lead me to places where I can spiritually eat and drink. Lord Jesus, it is, it is a crazy time right now. Please lead us 
to know you more. More of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, I have some announcements for you. Y'all got some bandwidth for announcements? You need to hear this stuff. We're still tracking? Okay. Um, I want to say first, thank you for your continued and generous support of the work of this ministry. I want to encourage you to continue to faithfully and generously support your church and the ministry. We're seeing incredible things come about in and through the work. And I realize that on Sunday morning, we can kind of look around and we can think, wow, there really aren't a whole lot of people gathering. But what we don't realize is that right now, there are people who are gathered. They're gathered in homes and they're, they're gathered around their phones at work. And there are people who are a part of, in fact, people who have never been a part of this church or a church are getting connected here. And what this ministry is proving to be is an anchor it is providing an anchor for people's lives. It is Christ here in this place. And the fact that we are gathering together and we are supporting the work, it is giving other people a place. And it is an anchor for us as well, isn't it? A place where we can gather together. And so I want to encourage you to continue supporting the work. We are going to be uh, moving, restructuring our Sunday morning. Uh, we are going to be moving to one service. And so basically in our live service, we have, we have about an average of 116 people. And then we, the rest of our, our family meets uh, virtually online. And so here's the reality. Our auditorium can pretty comfortably seat about 400. And so what we're going to do on Sunday morning is we're going to do absolutely everything we can do to set up the auditorium with plenty of spaces, adhering to social distancing and all of that. And we're going to have one service. It's going to be at 11 o'clock. It's going to be live and streamed. But here's the requirement. Masks are mandatory. And I get it. Some of us are like, I hate wearing a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. I get that. But you know what I did this week? I went and worked out the Rowlett Rec Center. And you know what I do when I go in there? They issue me a mask. They, they do that thing where they shoot you in the head with a thermometer. And then uh, they give me surgical gloves to work out with. And I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of working out with surgical gloves and masks, but taking those things off when you're done with a workout, delicious. So if we can do that at the gym, we can wear a mask on a Sunday morning. And sing and pray and all of that. We got to be aware we're literally in the cradle of the coronavirus. It's a global pandemic and all that. So masks are mandatory if you're in the live service. Um, our Sunday morning gatherings are going to be moving to 9 a.m. on Zoom. So if you're a part of a Sunday morning gathering or that, that gathering uh, in, the, in the Bible studies, we have three of those, by the way, if you're not involved. Information is online. It's going to be at 9 a.m. on Zoom. So all classes moving back to Sunday morning. And then Facebook Live are moving moving to Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, and I will see you tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m. Let's stand together. Children and student ministry, weekly opportunities, both in person and online. Check that out on our website. But it is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved.
Now carry the love of Jesus out to the rest of the world. We'll see you next time.